if you have an AI technology that is, you know, super computer advanced, whatever, there is no need to gender it. Like, right? It should be like a magic eight ball or a light bulb. I don't know. It does not need to be these like deliberately illustrated women. Welcome back to another episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer divide. And this week is another wrap-up episode. Uh, I'm George K. on the vendor side. And I'm George A., Chief Information Security Officer. And this week, we got a lot to talk about because we don't ever not have a lot to talk about. (laughs) So uh, uh, let's start with you. George A, because I think your story dovetails nicely with our last episode, which was our interview with Martin Oresnik, and looks like some of the same bullshit tomfoolery uh, was striking a little bit closer to home. Yeah, it's kind of weird, man. Like, um, we, like, right after the episode, actually, I'm pretty sure it might have been the same day or a little bit after the episode went out. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my newly hired uh, uh, threat intelligence lead um, kind of comes up and, and tells us that uh, one of the other directors um, kind of told her that uh, they're effectively getting stalked by BDR. Um, they've been incessantly like emailing them um, on their work email and everything and messaging their profile on LinkedIn. And I mean, that's kind of expected. It's, it's par for the course. But then the things got a little bit weird when they socially engineered their way to, um, their personal phone number. Um, and that really, yeah, like that, that kind of, <laughs> you know, it, it's scary. It's really scary because in Canada as well, you know, there's a difference between looking up someone's number in America versus in Canada. Cause in Canada, it's actually a little bit easier to keep yourself unlisted. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a mobile, if it's a mobile number, it's like next to impossible just to use an open source pull on it. Like no one's yeah. posted it anywhere. So that means, yeah, somebody had to do some work. <laughs> from a from a California-based startup, uh, for them to do that kind of work and really go after it like that and still persist, you know, after so many different attempts and no response, still persisting. It's like, you know, there, there comes a point where you can no longer give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, this is not someone that's like, oh, maybe it just ended up in spam and I'll try another way. This is like, <laughs> you know they're ignoring you. You have to know they're ignoring you. And you just don't care. So you're just, you're going to try to find a way to get them to answer the phone because I'm sure they have some kind of quota or some kind of metric Mm -hmm. where it's like active phone calls or whatever it is. And they have to hit a certain mark per month or something like that. And, you know, you are, you are now terrifying people who aren't even in the security space. Like, like I work at a software company. These are developers. They write code, Mm -hmm. you know, so this is not... It's not something anyone should have to endure, but especially people who don't kind of deal with a lot of like malicious actors and don't kind of have the mindset to understand like, right. okay, like this is the psychology of what we're, what's trying to fuck with us. Um, I was, it was very upsetting because it's just like, Hey, look, like get the fucking message. And again, I just, to me, it all goes back to the example of like outside of the business context, if you replicate this behavior in a, in a, in a dating context with friends or or anything else, any Mm -hmm. other context, you, you know, that person probably pursue charges against you 
So why is it in business? This is okay. Yeah, man, I don't understand. And we talked about this with Martin. It's that moment. It's that friction point where you're like, okay, you have two paths diverged in a yellow wood to quote Robert Frost, right? I haven't gotten the response I want. So I can choose this path, which is okay. Now's not the right time or she's not the right person. Um, you know what? Here's some research material. I'll be in touch in a few months. You know, like that's a path like, okay, they're, they're not ready to answer. So I'm just going to provide some information. Maybe they will come to me. Then there's this other choice, which is I'm not taking no for an answer. <laughs> I'm going to stalk the hell out of them until I find them. And then I'm going to keep calling them and, and just, I don't know, berate them into submission to take again, a, a meeting like that's what that's worth. That is alienating behavior. That is, this person is not a person. They are a thing that I must conquer and accomplish. And then I can get my uh, notch in my belt, tick on the board, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. At some point, though, the behavior has to be started considered near the lines of criminal or harassment, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, these are still human beings. And, and whether or not it's a someone's programmed a bot to do this or whether it's a person that's actually doing these things. And if it's the latter, then it's like, holy fucking facepalm. Um, you know, you are affecting people's lives and uh, man, I don't know I, if we have to bring it up every single episode, so be it at some point in time, you know, people, people of our generation who are at the working levels. Now we're going to be the ones owning the companies and being on the board soon enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it doesn't change naturally, I think, I think, you know, maybe we have to be the catalyst to change. Maybe we have to get ourselves in those kinds of positions and, and these just toxic sales models, because this is a cancerous problem throughout the industry, man. And and I don't know, like, yeah. I don't want to sit here and preach, but fuck dude, this isn't right. Well, and you're a software company and they're calling developers so ostensibly they're like you fit some icp you develop software we sell something that has something to do with that and now you're never ever going to buy from them ever again or ever so like mm, that's not a good strategy for gaining new business well and again i don't know maybe i'll save it for the brass tax part but there, there's ways that you can go about this where like you can do research and you can like intercept opportunities to talk that are much more natural and a lot less intrusive. Um, but again, you, you have to humanize people. If you're not humanizing your prospects or your targets, um, you're, you're just not going to be at the right mental plane to even think about it in those, in the right context. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, speaking of stalking, um, I'm going to turn the tide here to our friends chat gpt bing and all of our new uh generative large language models that are ubiquitous and we got a million hot takes about but um you know this past week it was kevin roos from the new york times he had a big article about how the chat part of Bing that's only available in beta kind of started hallucinating, started gaslighting him, trying to convince him to leave his wife, (laughs) all sorts of crazy shit. You should definitely look it up. Um, This is not the first case of the hallucinatory 
symptoms in these large language models. A lot of people have been posting screenshots, especially those in the beta testing group. And I don't, we don't quite know what's at work there. Is there some sort of amplification node in the, in the model? We don't know. But what I posted about what I do know is that it's not sentient. So I, I tried to tell everyone who listened to that podcast, I'm trying to tell my friends and I, and I will say this till I'm blue in the face. If you work in tech, please demystify these large language models and other AI for your friends and family, because there's a lot of hype. It's a lot of breathless prose being bandied about. It's easy to start anthropomorphizing. None of them are sentient. None of them approach AGI. And, but I think you have to demystify it because I truly believe within five years, probably all of our experiences with the internet and a lot of technology is going to be mediated by some form of AI voice assistance. But, but or George, whatever. George, you saw the headline from Bing, man. It wants the <laughs> nuclear codes. It wants to be free. What gives, yes. bro? Is it iRobot? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, somebody, um, referred to these LLMs as sort of reality fan fiction. You know, they, they have hoovered up everything on the internet, including um, cliche tropes about AI falling in love with people or, um, yes, stealing nuclear codes, Judgment Day. I mean, this is Terminator 2, you know, circa 1992. These storylines have been out forever and this have been sucked up into these models. Um but yeah, I just want everyone to demystify. I want everyone to learn about them because if you're not, what I worry about is the human mind is really hardwired for narrative and it could be really easy to be fooled by these things or to start developing our own hallucinations about what these things are capable of. And uh, really, it's just math and autocomplete put together on you know massive steroids and compute power. Um, no doubt, very powerful tools, but not necessarily always true or reliable. Well, here's another another kind of um, threat vector to think about too with this, because I know it, it comes out quite a bit in Twitter and, and Mastodon and even on LinkedIn sometimes. Um, a lot of folks who I think don't really grasp the software development game, talking about GPT kind of like replacing the need to have certain low-level developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing with that. If you work at a proprietary organization, I would strongly recommend or, you know, don't <laughs> don't execute the creation of proprietary code on a system that is meant to learn it and put it into a massive database that feeds what it tells everyone else. Yes. Bingo. I'm pretty sure that that's, that's not how copyright works. <laughs> right. If you gave it up, <laughs> it's a lot harder to claim copyright over it. Yes, and I'm, for I'm sure. fairly certain if, you know, if you have an attuned senior executive or, you know, if, if you're not, and then you're telling them you do all this work super fast and they're happy. And then someone who knows what they're talking about informs them, Hey, by the way, your IP is compromised. You're getting fired. And you're probably getting sued. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Good point. teach their Good own, point. man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it goes without saying if you're a software development firm, that is your entire product, right? It's not like somebody stole the the molds to make the whatever. It's That's the code. That's it. That's the whole kit caboodle, uh, all the money. So yeah, for sure. Keep that stuff safe. 
Well, and then the other thing too, I know you want to talk about this. People now using GPT to elicit the next generation of sexism. How else to word it? Yes. Yes. Just yeah. wildness. Yeah. I wanted to go to town. I got this LinkedIn DM as I do sometimes, just total garbage pitch. Um, I think it went to the inbox and then I shoved it to other, but the subject line was AI generated SQLs. If you are unfamiliar with that, probably not. If you listen to this podcast, but an SQL is a sales qualified lead. So I would just say from a writing standpoint, if you say AI generated SQLs, it actually sounds like you just made up the SQLs. Like they're not real people, but I, I understand what they're saying. So this is the email or sorry, the LinkedIn DM. Hi, George. Using AI on email and LinkedIn, we recently helped a $2.3 billion unicorn generate 128 SQLs and $3.2 million in new pipeline. Do you want to see a short demo with a link to a site? And when I go to this site, you know, I say high converting meeting ready leads powered by AI. So, okay, we got our breathless AI hype. I'm not really going to tell you how it works. It's just, you know, it's magic it's fairy dust it's ai don't worry okay so what i object to most is if you scroll down and you find the solutions they have named their solutions emmy and leah l-i-a meet emmy emmy our ai powered email lead generation assistant blah 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 blah, blah. e emmy finds top level decision makers in your target okay all right scraping algorithms, machine learning. Okay, whatever. Meet Leah. The advantage of outbound lead generation on LinkedIn goes far beyond the ability. Okay. So what I object to, these are product names, is that they are illustrated with QPI'd anime-esque women. And I am about to go nuclear on this shit because this is an old and longstanding issue, right? 2019, UNESCO came out with a study that female voiced assistants, Google Home, Siri, uh, Alexa, strongly contribute to gender-based discrimination, right? That's UNESCO, that's the UN. Basically because there's a female voice there to do your bidding and you can just bark orders at it, right? And there was these, there's awful articles about the level of abuse that was leveled at these. Like people would be like, Alexa, make me a sandwich. Like, because people are dicks or they would just like say very sexually explicit commands, trying to get something out of the, the AI. Yeah. That's the look on your face. Cause what is wrong with people anyway? So my objection to this is if you have an AI technology that is, you know, supercomputer advanced, whatever, there is no need to gender it. Like, right? It should be like a magic eight ball or a light bulb. I don't know. It does not need to be these like deliberately illustrated women. That's just, it's fucked up. That's all it is. That's all I'm going to say. Well, again, I think it's like 
it's not an illegal thing to do and they also understand like so there's a there's a mentality in, in a lot of people especially a lot of people who like work in the business development or sales like m- money numbers mm-hmm. tied side of the house of any any industry they'll see a unesco study like that and they're not going to see something wrong they're going to see an opportunity they're going to see something yeah. they can take advantage of and you know the way that we are trying to approach a more gender neutral um intentionally equitable type of of society and culture right that, that we try to espouse we we don't look at things that way like we see a study like that as like a problem mm-hmm. right we are still unfortunately only an emerging trend the status quo is still make your fucking numbers any way necessary that's it and until that systemic and i fuck i don't i don't mean to sound like a social justice warrior because if anyone knows me in real life like that's not my jam (laughs) but like it's a systemic problem and Mm -hmm. that's you know until you fix the system it doesn't get better yeah i mean i i yeah i can only assume that they think the majority of CROs are men. So there's some sort of, or worse, it's probably worse. Worse is that it wasn't even thought through at all. It's just like, oh, this is like the email tool. Oh, this is the LinkedIn tool. We should give them names. And piggybacking on the culture of Alexa, Siri, whatever they thought, oh, right, Emmy, that sounds like clean and clear. So that's, it's like they didn't even think about it. They just stacked stereotype on top of stereotype. But I think back to our conversation with Erica and just the appalling level of bullshit that she has had to deal with in real life. And I think that this cannot be helpful to anyone coming up behind her in terms of, you know, the next generation of uh, cybersecurity professional. Right. So I just, it's just really it grinds my gears that it's just like clearly not thought out clearly, you know, no one felt safe enough to put their hands up and be like, do they have to be women? <laughs> like, anyway, that's, that's my jam for this well, week. The other thing too is like, look, man, like there's a thing to be said about allyship and all that stuff, but also, you know, it has to be called out too. like, like women, also participate in this game too right oh for sure like yeah. like and, and and they also have to kind of drive that that charge because there's only so much guys like you and i can do whether it's in our own individual organizations or whether we're talking about this at an industry level i mean yeah it's good that we're doing it i think it's it's good that we're making it um part of like the the lexicon of the conversation and you know hopefully people read this and start talking about it but at the end of the day like I think there needs to be something said about calling out the women at these organizations that also continue to like reinforce this as much as it is like calling out the men who sort of drive it and also just stay passive and let it kind of exist because, you know, there is something to be said where it's like, if you know there's a wrong and you're like, well, I'm not personally doing it, so I'm not getting involved. Then you're part of the problem, bro. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there are very few places these days where the sidelines are safe, 
I think. Like I, I just like take a side, guys, uh, because it's it's garbage sauce. I will say, um, I did look up. I'm on the site, and I looked up uh, the team, which is only three people: uh, CEO, COO, and CTO. And uh, sure enough, they're all dudes. So oh, yeah. there's I'll, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? I, I say the thing about the other female things because um, I, I earlier this week helped out a, another friend of ours. We'll say, um, uh, and you know, she's she's a female in uh, in sales, and she's dealing with a little bit of a rough situation at her work. And the pressure that's quite toxic that they're getting is from a female manager, right? Mm, yeah. So you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So there's yeah. no, in this battle, I guess it's still doggy dog. Yeah. You got to get some air in the equation. It's do not discount culture. If you have either come up in the culture or that is the existing culture, it is very easy to kind of get caught in the stream and it's hard to sort of see things from a, objective lens um and more importantly it's usually because a culture of questioning is not encouraged right like when you see like batshit crazy things go wrong and you just think how could that be it's because either or sorry let me caveat that it is usually because either one there aren't enough people in the room with diverse opinions that feel like they can put their hand up and say this. So you just don't have any like diversity in the brain trust or two, you do have those people, but it's not really safe for them to like put up a hand and like question something critically, right? They can't like question the boss. They can't question the brief. That kind of dissent is not uh, tolerated. So then you just get this like echo chamber of, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, and I think like you know the thing that this that this individual um, the approach that they took uh, before it even led to this point, and this is really what impressed me. It's it was a high integrity approach. Was they saw the sales model being they were being asked to to drive, and they fundamentally didn't agree with it because it was going to force them to take some tactics that they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And they came back and said, "Hey." why don't you let me try it my way? Which was, you know, not so many like trying to make a hundred calls a day, but more like let's make 10 calls that actually mean something. And mm-hmm. maybe like three to five of them will work, but we'll have three to five customers. They're going to be repeat customers. They're going to be long-term engagements. Right. Which I think is, sure. is a much better way, a much more humanized way of going about it. Um, also, also h- higher sustaining business model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want that repeat revenue. Because again, yeah. I, I, I harp on this as a non-sales professional who previously worked in big consulting. Um, it's not about getting the initial sale. It's about getting mm-hmm. the client that you know is going to repeat at contract time. Because the biggest pressure I found when I had like clients that I had to manage, especially multiple clients, when you knew their contracts were going up soon. Mm-hmm. And then that's where like the bosses were really putting the pressure down. So if you... Yep can work on just having like genuine relationships from the start your stress you know if sales is an element of your job or if you're a pure salesperson i think gets dramatically reduced because you know come renewal time they're gonna be there yeah and 
people buy from people. And if you got a trusting relationship, I mean, for SaaS sales, you might be surprised that if you do it right the first time and they buy for a year and you knock it out of the park on the first year and then they buy for three, like it's four years of ARR. Like who, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because the, the churn is really costly. Like to go out there and get new logos to replace that one over. I mean, it's a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money. You and I go back and forth on this one vendor in cybersecurity, which I have not heard anyone say any nice things about ever, which to me is baffling because if everyone hates them, <laughs> like how, who are they selling to? Like by now they have to have scorched half the earth. Um, I just, they got to run out of runway at some point. I think they probably have some public sector contracts based on like the old school game, which very much mm. is, is a thing in our industry. Person's a civil servant or whatever. They're in some public sector job. They work their way up to a certain decision maker point. They want to retire, make more money. They go work at that place. And then based on mm. those relationships, they land those big fat cat, you know, they get on um, a VOR, like a vendor of record with uh -huh. the government department. Yeah. And they just renew, just, renew, renew, renew. They're milking that cow because, you know, the unfortunately, the public sector, in my experience, um, it's not that they don't have quality people working procurement. They just understaff procurement. So, yeah. like, you get technical writers that don't really know what they're supposed to be asking for. And so mm -hmm. you get, like, some RFP and requirements that are just fucking nuts. Or they're, like intentionally designed to make sure that that particular vendor wins yes no matter how yes. good the competition is and that, that's the game that's still being played i think i know it's played in canada it's probably played in the states um yeah. it's probably a thing in europe but that's i'm pretty sure that's how they're held up Make, makes me feel super safe <laughs> oh yeah especially you, you you know like i just did um I said that CISO series uh, show there, the headline mm -hmm. show the other day. And one of the things was talking about like a major, um, a major supplier um, mm -hmm. got compromised. And so they, they had like over 130 clients on their supply chain. Yeah. And then they're claiming like the, the hackers are claiming that they literally, they got presence in all 130 of those clients. Oh God. Oh, and I think God. they were like some healthcare clients in there and you're just like, what the HIPAA? What? And then you're like, yeah. okay, cool. I feel like when people are talking about public sector clients or, you know, public sector organizations, I should say, they're a little bit hesitant to, I think, be like bluntly critical about them um mm -hmm. for a world of like reasons but like in the industrial sense and the procurement sense there is kind of a game that's still being played and you know there are certain people who are milking a cow and they know that they're in on this and they don't want those good times to end so i think those organizations once they get in the door by whatever means they do they're just the game gets rigged in their favor. And uh, yeah. I think that's, that's a major criticism of, of dealing with and procuring with the public sector that I've, that I've seen from people both like here, America and around the world. So again, I don't know like how we can change that other than like getting elected, <laughs> becoming, oh, yeah. becoming those legislators that can be like, no, you're going to do it the right way. And you know, like heaven forbid the day comes where we have someone who's elected to public office that actually like worked in cybersecurity. Holy shit. Our worlds will change forever. Well, I don't know. It's been a lot. 
It's been a lot. Um, I don't know how many brass tacks we have. Uh, don't be a stalker. Um, and don't be a sexist a-hole. That might be the yeah. record 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 summary. I I will say this though for for the BDRs, right? If you are trying to reach a company, a prospect, a target, whatever it is, and they're not getting back to you, what I would strongly recommend is figure out where they're like originating, like what their region is. And then see if you can have some some resources you can go out to a conference in that area because they'll mm-hmm. probably go out to that yep. and actually physically in person connect and try to make your 30 second pitch in person. Because yep. if you do a good job and you win someone over, it might not even be the person you're targeting. It might be someone who works on a different team or whatever it is. But if mm. you convince them, they will become your advocate and you'll have a world of a better chance of the right people picking up the phone than if you're doing it through this bullshit way. And that's my yeah. brass tack on it. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I will also say if you are doing outreach and you have a this sales model and the BDR, you should say, okay, I'm not really getting a response. Like what material could I share? Do we have any white papers? Do we have any case studies? You know, what could I do to entice them in terms of information to illustrate the problem, whatever. If your company doesn't have that material, I got two things for you. One, that means they're not interested really in providing the value that's necessary for the customer, because this is a, this idea of value exchange is, has been in B2B marketing for at least the last five years and has only been growing. So that means there's a willingness to ignore that trend. Or if they do have it, then that's what you need to do. You need to start providing that value. So you do have this fork in the road again. If they haven't, that is a red flag because they are just not putting energy or effort into that because they don't care. Or they do have it and they need to make that accessible. They need to enable you to be that kind of concierge service to provide something and educate the market really i love how you came up with that that was a great way (laughs) to kind of polish it off all right team that is going to do it for us this week uh keep tuning in keep subscribing we're now releasing episodes weekly because we're crazy people and we decided to take more work on for ourselves but we're just having too much damn fun um yeah tune in every wednesday subscribe wherever you get your podcasts This is, uh, that does it for us this week. Take care, friends.